take a journey with me into the unseen realm of the paranormal. See it through the eyes of a demonologist. You're listening to the Cajun Demonologist Podcast. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for tuning in to the Cajun Demonologist Podcast. I am your host, the Cajun Demonologist. Today we're going to talk about a subject that I get asked about almost on a daily basis. I can't tell you how many times someone has emailed me or sent me a message on Facebook saying how awesome it is that I am a demonologist and they want to know how can they get into the field or would I be willing to teach them and my response is always mostly trust me you do not want to get into this field you know for some reason people think that being a demonologist I don't know, it almost seems to be this new trend in the paranormal world lately. They think it's cool, you know. And a lot of these people, they come from a paranormal investigating background. But let me explain to you, being a paranormal investigator and being a demonologist is two different worlds. For an example, being a paranormal investigator, we get a call from someone that thinks they may have a haunting in their home. We go out there with our team, we use our equipment, we do a couple of EVP sessions, we use K2 meters, EMF meters, to try to validate, in fact, that there may be a ghost in their home. And then they leave. Well, being a demonologist, one, when we get called to a case, we pretty much know it's haunted, and we just have to figure out whether we're dealing with a demonic entity are just a really, really cranky spirit. There is a difference. There's a such thing as an evil spirit, and then there's a such thing as a demon. They are two totally different things. But here's a couple of things that you may really want to consider if you're getting into the world of demonologists. Okay, so think about it this way. How would you feel if you lived your life knowing that at all times you are being watched, whether you are taking a bath or a shower, whether you're walking the dog down the street, going out to get into your car at night, how would you feel knowing that you are forever in the crosshairs of the enemy? Take a moment and think about that. You do battle with spiritual beings, demons, okay? These are very, very intelligent beings. They've been around since the creation, okay? We've been on the planet, what, 20, 30, 40 years? Their knowledge exceeds us by a milestone, okay? We are very primitive creatures compared to what they are and what they're capable of doing. So imagine yourself getting in a fight with a friend, okay? And you kick their butt. Well, 
human instincts, they want to get revenge, correct? You want to get revenge on that person. You don't care how long it takes. Well, same rule applies for these entities. You engage them in spiritual warfare. If you're lucky enough, you will win the battle. But they're not done with you. Even though they have certain rules that they must abide by, they will sit and wait and watch your every move. They will be just about, just past the shadows for the rest of your life, waiting for that moment that you are vulnerable. And they will attack you and destroy everything you hold dear in your life. And what I mean by that is, let's just say you have a very strong will. Your mind's in the right place. You're wearing that armor that these entities just cannot penetrate through okay I can't get to you but I can get to everything that you hold dear in your life I'm talking about your family I'm talking about your wife your children your dog your job everything that you hold dear in your life they will try to destroy that's why it's important to understand and recognize that if you feel that this is for you, this is truly something you're passionate about, and no one's going to convince you otherwise, this is what you want to do, okay? You need to realize that this is not a hobby. Being a demonologist is not a hobby. It is a lifestyle. It is a chain. And once you open that door, it can never be closed. I'll give you an example of this. Say we learn demonology and we start taking on a couple of cases. We've done a couple of deliverances or exorcisms, whatever you want to call it. And we decide one day, you know what? This is way more than I bargained for. I don't think I want to do it anymore. Well, guess what? Tough crap. You open that door. And now it can never be closed because, like I said, they will wait. Just because you decide to throw in the towel doesn't mean they're going to give you a pass for what you've done to them. It's very important to understand that. You will forever be a target. Most people that has gotten into the field of demonology has really ended up there by the default. And what I mean is they hadn't, they've had something happen to them in their personal lives. They've had some experience dealing with a demon. Maybe it was oppressing them at some point in their life, which is good because then they can relate to the people that are being inflicted by the entities that they're trying to help. They understand the emotional roller coaster that these clients go through and the belief that no one can help them because they were in those people's shoes at one point in time themselves, but they overcame this. They were able to break that chain. They were, they were able to unchain themselves from these entities, which is kind of somewhat of how I got into this. I'm going to tell you a little short story. Trust me, I never woke up one day and decided that I wanted to be a demonologist. I could promise you that, okay? 
to be honest with you, how I got involved with this is I was a paranormal investigator. Let's just be honest. I was a thrill seeker. Okay, I love the thrill of going into a supposed haunted location, listening to every little creak in the wall or noise and being scared out of my wits. I loved it. I was going through a really rough time in my life at that point in time in my life. And it was an escape from the reality that was happening around me. Well, we ended up becoming really popular. We started a team in Southern Louisiana, me and my partner that we started it with. Um, and we got real popular real quick. I mean, you have to remember this was around 2009. This was before the big paranormal craze took off. I think the only shows on television at that time was ghost adventures and maybe, uh, ghost hunters. That was it. Um, we started a Facebook page and before you knew it, we had 10,000 people on there. And we got the attention of a local uh, television station here in southern Louisiana. It was just a regional station, nothing big. And they told us, hey, would you mind if we air your videos on our network? Sure. You know? Hey, great. Well, we got a phone call one day from a lady that claimed she went to the Myrtles Plantation. The Myrtles Plantation is very, very popular. It's known as one of the world's most haunted locations. Well, I say suppose of haunted locations. I've investigated it a couple of times myself. I've really never experienced anything, but that's a story for another time. Well, anyway, this lady claims she went to the Myrtles Plantation and a demon followed her home. Well, our first thought was, okay, so thousands of people go to this plantation every year and you're telling us that a demon followed you home yeah right so but hey if you let us put it on tv sure welcome so we agreed to meet with the lady we always done that because there's a lot of equipment to be hauled around things like that so you want to just kind of get the feel for the client and the home the location all these things well she started showing us a picture of what she called an orb, and she said that there was a face inside this orb. Now, I'll tell you, my first reaction was when I seen this was, that's no orb, that's nothing more than dust. However, I didn't want to be rude, so I didn't say anything. Then she started talking about other things, and I can tell that she was really obsessed with all of this stuff, which kind of made me uncomfortable. So I decided to excuse myself from their conversation. I grabbed a K2 meter, started walking down the house. Next thing I know, I found myself standing by the doorway of her bedroom. And I remember her telling me all the stuff that happened in that room. And I'm like, there is no way I am going into that room. So I'll just turn left here and go into the bathroom. Now, this is a huge bathroom. It's not your average size bathroom. And as you walk in the door, to your right, there is a double vanity sink with a huge mirror. It's probably eight foot long and eight foot high. It's huge. And as soon as I walked into that room, my K2 meter started spiking. And it was all the way in red. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, they must have some bad wiring or something. And as I looked up, I seen this person or entity standing behind me. Now, when you think of a ghost, you think of somewhat of a silhouette where you could somewhat see through it. 
Um, this was as solid as a human being, as if someone was physically standing behind me. It was seven foot tall because his head came right to the top of the door. His arms were extremely long. They come past his kneecaps, and his fingers were twice the size of a normal person's fingers. He was bald-headed, and he had eyes. There was nothing else, though. There was no nose, no mouth, no anything. And it scared the living crap out of me. I ran out of that house. I grabbed my partner, told him what I saw, told him I was leaving, that if he wants to come with me, he better get in the vehicle right now. So we left. But the one thing that stuck in my mind was I remember there was this image in particular. They had a mattress in the living room, and they had crucifixes all the way around the mattress. And that's where they slept. So what does that tell you about somebody when you see that? It tells you that they are really, really terrified. And the fact that there was three girls involved in this really got to me. So I called her up a few days later and told her that, um, you know, I'm going to try to find you help. I went to a, a minister. He basically shunned me and told me I shouldn't even be involved with these kind of people. So I thought to myself, okay, well, I'll just go to the Catholic Church. They deal with these type of things all the time. Well, the priest told me that if she wasn't Catholic, then the church wasn't going to be able to help them, which really shocked me, to be honest with you. To make a long story short, I started studying the whole demonology concept on my spare time, and I spent probably the next six months with the family trying to help free them of this thing being as i seen it with my own eyes i knew that she was telling the truth and make a long story short eventually we were able to find her help and an exorcism was performed on her and she's been free ever since well after that i decided to get away from the paranormal field it was way more real than what i was comfortable with it being I ended up writing a book about my experiences called The Dwelling, a Dark Entity. A couple months later, I got a friend request on Facebook from a priest. And I remember thinking, that's odd. I didn't even know priests can have Facebook pages. Well, apparently they can. And so I accepted him. He sent me a message and told me that he had read my book, that he was an exorcist, and he was really, really... Um, intrigued by how genuine I was about the whole ordeal. I didn't make myself out to be a hero because I wasn't at all. I've done a lot of things wrong that could have got people hurt really, really bad. Um, we struck up a friendship, and over time, he trained me. And not only that, look, I have to say I've met a lot of people throughout this journey that has helped me and helped increase my knowledge on spiritual warfare. I mean, when it comes to spiritual warfare, knowledge is power. Knowledge is the most important thing that you can hold. Um, so that's how I got into the field. And a lot of people that end up in this field has experienced something, you know, similar to my story. But with that being said, there are certain types of people that should never get into this field. And I say this from 
the kindness of my heart because it can be very dangerous. Imagine yourself standing by a fire, take your shoes off and decide to step on the hot coals. That's basically what you would do. If you have an addictive type personality, you know, whether it's alcoholism, drugs, or anything like that in your past, or if you're a very weak-minded person, you could be easily manipulated by others. If you do not have a strong will, then you should not get into this. And this is the reason why. These entities know everything about you. They know your deepest, darkest secret. They know the secrets that you keep locked away. You can hide them from everyone you know, but you cannot hide them from them because they know. And they will use this against you. They will entice you with the things that they know you will not be able to resist. And it is a way to break you down emotionally, physically, spiritually, so that they can attack you. Again, in the spiritual world, there is no concept of time. You think that, well, after a while, they'll get tired of waiting around in the shadows for me to be vulnerable to attack me. You have to understand that in the spirit world, time does not exist. Time is something of the flesh. Okay, our flesh ages over time. The spirit realm is pure spirit. There is no concept of time. So what may seem like 20 years to us is a matter of seconds to them. It's very important to understand that. That they will and can use everything against you if you let them. You know, that is why it's very important to understand the principles of energy and how it works. I'd done a podcast a while back about the law of attraction. And the reason I'd done that was because understanding the law of attraction, understanding that negative energy will feed upon negative energy, negative thoughts will cause more negative thoughts. Positive energy will feed off of positive energy. Positive thoughts will attract more positive thoughts. Because that, my friends, is one of the most valuable weapons that we have. Evil is not going to come where there's light. Negativity is not going to be able to coexist with positive energy. It's very important to understand that. However, we are human, okay? We have bad days. We have days where we're very negative. Okay, we live in a very, very negative world. Everyone's out to try to out someone else. It's sad, but that's the world that we live in. You have to understand that Satan and the demons, they rule this world. This physical world we live in, this is their domain. This is their playground. They have the upper hand. It's important to understand those things. That is a way to protect yourself and protect your family and protect everything around you. Now, we have bad days where we're negative. We're human. Of course we do. But at a point, you have to understand when you're being affected by something that you can't see hear or touch, but you're being affected by a force that is coming after you with a vengeance. 
by recognizing that and understanding what it is, it will help us change our pattern, the way we think to try to be more positive. And over time, when you exercise this and you understand how valuable it can be, especially in this field, you will learn to train yourself to do it subconsciously to where you don't even have to really think about it. Your subconscious will tell you, okay, your train of thought is bearing off here. This is not you. Let's correct this. And it keeps these entities from having a right to you. The right of exorcism, which is R-I-T-E, that means that an entity has a right to someone. A demon cannot just possess, oppress a person. It has to be invited into your life. And how that happens is, say, for an example, somebody's playing with a Ouija board, something like that. They get personal. They ask a personal question about themselves. Well, you've just invited this entity into your space. That is how they have a right to you. And unless that specific right is broke, then you can do all the prayers you want. And it's still going to be there because you did not break the right. You did not take the keys away from them and kick them out of the house and lock the door. We do that by taking away their right. That is why you have to understand that the world of demonology and spiritual warfare is very complex. So let's think about this. Say we're dealing with somebody that we think is under possession, but they're not. They have schizophrenia or bipolarism, which mimics possession very, very closely. However, there are ways to distinguish the two. But let's say we decide to do a deliverance on somebody that we think is possessed. Now, imagine yourself sitting in a chair, someone standing over you, they're burning incense all around you, they're pouring holy water on your head, and they have a crucifix on your forehead. Folks, that is a very powerful ritual, okay? It is very emotional for the person that's being afflicted. And if there is not an entity or a demon in that person, you could actually do more harm than you can good. You can create an altar. If you don't know what an altar is, an altar is a separate personality within somebody. Doesn't mean that they're possessed. They create, you create an alternate personality. So you can do more harm than good. So it's very important to understand all the different pieces and mechanisms that you have to learn in order to be a successful demonologist. You know, there's a lot of people that count on you, especially in this field. So you can't just pretend to be a demonologist because that will get you in trouble very, very quickly. If you don't take the time, you don't have the passion for it, then maybe it's not for you. But I will leave that for you to decide. And maybe in our next podcast, we'll kind of get into the whole subject of demonology just a little bit deeper. But until next time, thank you for tuning in. God bless.